walk down to the Capitol and we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. Stormed the Capitol building. They are marching through now. Whatever furniture I can manage to move to barricade my door. I had a pen in my pocket and uh, was thinking about how we were going to fight our way out. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news story? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one conversation with our reporters every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Welcome to the Debrief Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Cooperstein, in for David Ushery. It was billed as a march to save America. Tens of thousands of Trump supporters instructed to descend on D.C. to, quote, stop the steal. They were inspired by President Trump's false claims of election fraud. And during his speech to that energized crowd of his most loyal supporters, the president even said he may march with them. And we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. He didn't. The march, though, quickly escalated into a violent riot with a pro-Trump mob storming the steps of the U.S. Capitol, bashing barricades, fighting through police officers, taking the hallowed halls of democracy under siege. Protesters, the mob was getting closer. And so they uh, shut down the floor and had us lean under our seats. He's got a gun! Shots are being fired inside the Capitol chamber. They were literally right outside my door. Oh, that sounds like a gunshot! I turned off the lights and uh, lifted whatever furniture I could manage to move uh, to barricade my door. I had a pen in my pocket and uh, was thinking about how we were going to fight our way out. To think that as a member of Congress in 2021, in the U.S. Capitol on the House floor, uh, that I was preparing to uh, fight my way out uh, of the people's house uh, against a a, a mob uh, is just beyond troubling. Five people were killed in the course of events, including a police officer trying to protect the Capitol, and a young woman from San Diego who was shot by Capitol Police after she broke into the building. Our country changed that day, the way we see it, the way the world sees us. And today on The Debrief, we're going to take a look at how we got here, where we go from here, and why the terror at the Capitol was more well-planned than you may realize. Stormed the Capitol building. They are marching through now. Let's welcome in Ben Collins right now. He covers disinformation and extremism for NBC News. And he has been covering what's been bubbling and building up to this moment at the Capitol for a long time. Ben, thank you so much for being with us here on The Debrief. Uh, can I start with 
what was known about the plans for January 6th, the Capitol on the Internet before it actually came to life? Uh, The entire thing was planned out on the Internet in pretty explicit and raw detail. Uh, QAnon fans, uh, pro-Trump militias, and also just a ragtag group of pro-Trump groups on the Internet uh, met together on these websites like 4chan, 8con, which is where QAnon is hosted, and the Donalds. And they came together to talk about January 6th and storming the Capitol. That's what they said over and over again for the last month. They believed that Mike Pence had the ability and power to overturn the election. And if he didn't, they would storm the Capitol and do something about it themselves, pressure them into either a recount or just to declare a dictatorship. A lot of these people, QAnon people, believe that Donald Trump should, what they said was cross the Rubicon. This was a hashtag they had going. Um, Cross the Rubicon is is a uh, Julius Caesar uh, reference where... Julius Caesar kicks off a civil war, declares a dictatorship by literally crossing the Rubicon River. And they thought that Donald Trump was going to do that in his own way on January 6th and would need, necessitate a private army of QAnon people, Proud Boys. So when they showed up to that rally on January 6th, after a month of crossing the Rubicon talk and events called on Instagram called Occupy the Capitol, when the president said at that rally, go march in the Capitol. They, they, they took that as meaning, uh, go take over the Capitol, you know, go start basically the civil war that makes it so Donald Trump will become our dictator. If I'm there at the Capitol, I was and I saw them dressed for war with weapons and looking like they're in a militia. And if you saw this on the Internet and reporters covering it had had known this was planned, is it possible to believe that law enforcement wasn't aware? I don't see how that's possible they weren't aware. It's possible they were so inundated with threats, and these people have made threats in the past uh, that didn't come to fruition, that they just didn't take them seriously, um, or that they couldn't deal with the volume. That's totally possible. But they knew about this. They knew it was coming. And you know, it makes, it makes me feel for people like you who are there without this protection. It makes me feel for people on you know the Capitol Police who were there who had four or five people at some barricades at the front of the Capitol while they were, while this speech was ending. It makes me feel for the Capitol police officer who was bludgeoned to death at this event. Five people died at this. This was a cataclysmic event. Um, And uh, it was due to lack of preparation from the police. It was due to, uh, you know, the Oval Office, the president, not taking this seriously, not sending in the National Guard in time in what appears to be some sort of strategic maneuver. And uh, it's mostly at the blame of these conspiracy theorists who have been fed lies from the president over the past month or two about the idea that he could remain in the White House despite losing this election. Some people across America see those images and they're startled by it. And they may write off the people inside the Capitol as kooks or crazy people. Um, but I, I saw their faces and they could have been our neighbors, Ben. Uh, can you explain to us or give me a, a sense of perspective of, of how many folks believe in this information, this misinformation, as far as you know, and where they're coming from? They are our neighbors. Maybe what saved this whole thing from getting worse is that they, there is some humanity here. 
These are people who flew in all throughout the country. They took over planes. They they came in. They they knew what they were doing. And uh, you know, I think there is this idea that this is all people who have been pro-Trump from the beginning. The QAnon people are just in love with Donald Trump and have been for years and years. It's not necessarily true. QAnon people are from all sections of the aisle, especially since the pandemic began, when QAnon recruiters went into wellness forums, religious groups. They wanted to spread their gospel that the new world order is taking over and Donald Trump was sort of the messiah here. And it worked. And uh, it got people who were very vulnerable from losing their jobs during the pandemic or family member or just the sense of security, frankly, that they previously had before all this went down. And a lot of these people who are fervently pro-QAnon can be radicalized in weeks, uh, fully radicalized to the extent that they would fly across the country to go rally in support of this to overthrow the government. Um, so they are our neighbors. They've had their brains hacked, basically, by bad people selling things on the internet for profit and people trying to remain in power despite losing elections. Ben, what do you think changes because of this reaching the magnitude of an international story of a breach of the hallowed halls of Congress in, in the Capitol? Where do, what's the good? What's the bad? Because I'd imagine there's a couple ways it could go. So the, I would say the only glimmer of hope that came out of this week is that there does seem to be, from some corners of the pro-Trump internet, there seems to be some sense of shame that this took place. They're trying to blame Antifa, saying it wasn't really them. Some of the same people who, by the way, had pictures of them inside the Capitol, inside Nancy Pelosi's office, that they took live stream themselves are the same people saying it was Antifa all along. Um, they're not trying to make sense of this. They're just trying to win a narrative war that they can no longer win. So the hope here is that they saw that this was a nightmare optically for their movement and they're backing away from it. Some people, the scary thing is some people are not, some people are saying, you know, this is, um, you know, th this is the beginning of the civil war for them. And they're going to be a lot more violent next time. And, you know, some people are even discarding Donald Trump entirely from this thing. There are people on a website called The Donalds, which is an extremist pro-Trump website, and they no longer like Donald Trump after that speech he gave effectively conceding the election because they are now more committed to the overthrow of the government than they are committed to their preferred candidate. So that's my worry. The shame is helpful, even if they are taking it out on random fictitious people who are not actually in the Capitol. But uh, the worry is that they didn't fully get what they wanted on Wednesday. President-elect Joe Biden has called it domestic terrorism, and we've seen a rise of domestic terrorism over the last few years. Is there a way through legislation? Is, the, is, is that possibly a way to solve some of this problem? Um, potentially, but, you know, the, the laws are already there. These people broke into the Capitol. <laughs> a lot of them were armed. Some people stole devices. Someone stole Nancy Pelosi's laptop. There are some very serious crimes. There was a murder of a Capitol police officer, which will, that's, that person is eligible for the death penalty when they find that person. They, these people committed many, many crimes, and a lot of people incited this, and they're on the lam from justice that is coming anyway. So if they want to make new laws that, you know, that might be coming, I could see it happening. But these people are already in deep trouble. You know, there, there is some outrage that is justifiable about the fact that these people were basically allowed to leave. That would not happen in any other protest where this took place. But they're, they're in trouble. They're, these people are on the run. 
And uh, if there are new laws that have to deal with this specifically, then to make sure this doesn't happen again, that might become. This has been pretty dark and, right, and rightfully so. But uh, let me try to find some hope here. Uh, it's going to be hard to change the minds of people on those dark corners of the Internet now mm-hmm. after they've been radicalized. But what, is there a way out through, whether it's education, media literacy? I mean, from someone who's been so deep into this, do you see other ways that we can at least heal in the future? This is a generational problem. We're going to have to teach kids um, that, you know, some guy saying that he knows the full truth about stuff on YouTube doesn't know anything. Um, that's going to take a long time. Um, I'm not sure what we do for the older people who are finding the novelty in social media and are now addicted to it. There's no class for that. But I do think that this is so unacceptable to most people. And people are looking at this and not seeing their country. People are seeing a guy in a pelt at the dais of the Senate, you know, yelling about QAnon and saying, uh, I don't recognize this. I don't want to be a part of this. Um, So their idiocy spilled out uh, into the most public place, into uh, into an insurrection, uh, will, I would assume, turn people away from that movement and turn people onto the idea that they have to understand what's happening on the internet right now, that it's not just remaining in their brain, this really ridiculous idea that a lot of people have lived with for the last five, 10 years, that what people read on the internet, they discard when they go into the real world. They believe what they believe, and they believe it fervently because of the internet. And then they go into the real world and act upon it. That is a thing that we now know to take seriously. Uh, so that's the hope. I don't think you can overstate the role that social media and technology played in this, right? And and now moving forward, we've seen how supercharged social media can get these conspiracy theories to a bigger audience than ever before. Is there any coming back from that? Is there regulation that could maybe fix that problem moving forward? Look, the social media companies are going going to face some sort of regulation during the Biden administration, in part because, you know, they there are no rules now at all. And Facebook has specifically called for them to be regulated in a way that they can, you know, help draft that legislation. I think that's probably a terrible idea, but that's that's something they've been calling for. So there will be regulation um, in the next couple of years. Uh, The worry is a lot of this stuff until this week was wrapped up in some sort of speech debate that people can yell over and over again, fire in a crowded theater, and get away with it because it's on the internet. Um, I think that idea is kind of going away. But there are people still fighting for that right. There are people still fighting on behalf of extremists. Uh, From within our Congress, there are people who are newly elected. Marjorie Taylor Greene was a QAnon blogger who was a Las Vegas false flag conspiracy theorist. You know, she, she was deeply into this stuff, and she is one of the newest members of Congress. So people will fight back against this. I have no doubt about that. But I, I do believe that there will be some sort of regulation over the next few years. You mentioned the pandemic as a factor. Um, uh, obviously, President Trump's power. Uh, are there other things we should be looking at as to how we got here? Th- you know, other other factors um, that led to this portion of society? Because, you know, I was there. I saw some similarities among the group. They're not all the same. But there's certainly some similarities among the group that stormed the Capitol. Um, any other threads that connect the people and made them more susceptible to this kind of extremism? When you feel left behind societally, when you feel politically homeless, you 
resort to extremism. Uh, I think, you know, we have to look to other countries here. A lot of people don't want to say that ISIS or something like that could happen here, but certainly what's happening, extremism researchers have been saying there are direct similarities between QAnon and ISIS for years now, between the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo movement and ISIS for years now. Disaffected people who don't have any hope from anything. They just, they haven't had it. The Proud Boys are based on the idea that you're, they call themselves proud chauvinists. The idea that uh, men are being left behind, young men are not being cared for by society, and that you should be proud of being anti-woman, in some cases, you know, racist in some cases. So th- these people are being given answers that are wrong for problems that are real. Um, you know, they have societal structural issues in their lives. They can't find a job. They can't really fit into society correctly. That's what happened with ISIS. They recruited young men in the same way. You know, they had sexual problems. Same thing goes for the Proud Boys. They had, you know, they had really direct ties between chauvinism and anti-feminism and that extremism. And they gave an answer that was basically, let's, let's get behind this president in a way that was more extreme than others. It's a real wake-up call for all of us, Ben. Thank you so much for shining a light on it. We appreciate it. Nice to talk to you. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. Big thanks to our production team as well. Melissa Mack, Darren Price, and Ben Berkowitz. I'm your host, Adam Cooperstein, in for David Ushery. We'll check back with you next time on The Debrief. The Debrief.